welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Blessed evening, lovelies. I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all of your sisters and brothers in spirit. And let us all strive to be consistently generous in sharing those higher qualities of our I Am presence with one another at every opportunity given us, playing our individual parts in the expansion and radiation of love and light all throughout the earth and being the love we were created to be. Because in this life is when it matters. And if we stay on the lighted path, in the next one, our divine inheritance. Amen. I've been working on the podcast, y'all, for the teachings for anyone who would have ever listened at times instead of reading. There will be the exact teachings from the nightly post, which we can all listen to on the go if we so choose, moving throughout our daily lives and stuff, allowing more time for contemplation and growth in the knowledge of our own I Am Presence. And it won't take much time to see a positive effect in our personal beings and in our individual worlds if we all make a sincere effort. Then we can positively affect the collective vibration of all mankind, thereby positively affecting the earth, evolving mankind's collective consciousness to higher levels for the next generations to come. But first, it starts with us. Give thanks and praises for love and life and for the lighter pathway, and let us all make the effort to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And y'all be loved. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uffas around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision, those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision, I had no strength left, my face turned deadly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, 
the Prince of Greece will come, but first I will tell you what is written in the Book of Truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your Prince. Daniel 10 4-20 At that time Michael, the great Prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Daniel 12 Isis Unveiled, Chapter 11 Bruce, Hasselquist, and Lampriere, testify to the fact that they have seen in Egypt, Morocco, Arabia, and especially in the Sinar, some natives utterly disregarding the bites of the most poisonous vipers, as well as the stings of scorpions. They handle and play with them, and throw them at will into a state of stupor. In vain do the Latin and Greek writers, says Salvert, assure us that the gift of charming venomous reptiles was hereditary in certain families from time immemorial, that in Africa the same gift was enjoyed by the Scilly, that the Marses in Italy, and the Ophiocenes in Cyprus possessed it. The skeptics forget that in Italy, even at the commencement of the 16th century, men, claiming to be descended from the family of St. Paul, braved, like the Marses, the bites of serpents. Doubts upon this subject, he goes on to say, were removed forever at the time of the expedition of the French into Egypt, and the following relation is attested by thousands of eyewitnesses. The silly, who pretended, as Bruce had related, to possess that faculty, went from house to house to destroy serpents of every kind. A wonderful instinct drew them at first toward the place in which the serpents were hidden, furious, howling, and foaming, they seized and tore them asunder with their nails and teeth. Let us place, says Salvert, inveterate skeptic himself, to the account of charlatanism, the howling and the fury, still, the instinct which warned the silly of the presence of the serpents, has in it some, thing more real. In the Antilles, the Negroes discover, 
by its odor, a serpent which they do not see. In Egypt, the same tact, formerly possessed, is still enjoyed by men brought up to it from infancy, and born as with an assumed hereditary gift to hunt serpents, and to discover them even at a distance too great for the effluvia to be perceptible to the dull organs of a European. The principal fact above all others, the faculty or rendering dangerous animals powerless, merely by touching them, remains well verified, and we shall, perhaps, never understand better the nature of this secret, celebrated in antiquity, and preserved to our time by the most ignorant of men. H.P. Blavatsky Music is delightful to every person. Low whistling, a melodious chant, or the sounds of a flute will invariably attract reptiles in countries where they are found. We have witnessed and verified the fact repeatedly. In Upper Egypt, whenever our caravan stopped, a young traveler, who believed he excelled on the flute, amused the company by playing. The camel drivers and other Arabs invariably checked him, having been several times annoyed by the unexpected appearance of various families of the reptile tribe, which generally shirk an encounter with men. Finally, our caravan met with a party, among whom were professional serpent charmers, and the virtuoso was then invited, for experiment's sake, to display his skill. No sooner had he commenced, than a slight rustling was heard, and the musician was horrified at suddenly seeing a large snake appear in dangerous proximity with his legs. The serpent was uplifted head and eyes fixed on him, slowly, and, as if unconsciously, crawled, softly undulating its body, and following his every movement. Then appeared at a distance another one, then a third, and a fourth, which were speedily followed by others, until we found ourselves quite in a select company. Several of the travelers made for the backs of their camels, while others sought refuge in the contineer's tent. But it was a vain alarm. The charmers, three in number, began their chants and incantations, and attracting the reptiles, were very soon covered with them from head to foot. As soon as the serpents approached the men, they exhibited signs of torpor, and were soon plunged in a deep catalepsy. Their eyes were half closed and glazed, and their heads drooping. There remained but one recalcitrant, a large and glossy black fellow, with a spotted skin. This melamine of the desert went on gracefully nodding and leaping, as if it had danced on its tail all its life, and keeping time to the notes of the flute. This snake would not be enticed by the charming of the Arabs, but kept slowly moving in the direction of the flute player, who at last took to his heels. The modern Cillian then took out of his bag a half-withered plant, which he kept waving in the direction of the serpent. It had a strong smell of mint, and as soon as the reptile caught its odor, it followed the Arab, still erect upon its tail, but now approaching the plant. A few more seconds, and the traditional enemy of man was seen entwined around the arm of his charmer, became torpid in its turn, and the whole lot were then thrown together in a pool, after having their heads cut off. H.P. Blavatsky Many believe that all such snakes are prepared and trained for the purpose, and that they are either deprived of their fangs, or have their mouths sewed up. There may be, doubtless, some inferior jugglers, whose trickery has given rise to such an idea. But the genuine serpent charmer has too well established his claims in the East, to resort to any such cheap fraud. They have the testimony on this subject of too many trustworthy travelers, including some scientists, to be accused of any such charlatanism. That the snakes, which are charmed to dance and to become harmless, are still poisonous, is verified by Forbes. On the music stopping too suddenly, says he, or from some other cause, the serpent, who had been dancing within a circle of country people, darted among the spectators, and inflicted a wound in the throat of a young woman, 
who died in agony, in half an hour afterward. According to the accounts of many travelers the Negro women of Dutch Guiana, the Obia women, excel in taming very large snakes called amidites, or papa, they make them descend from the trees, follow, and obey them by merely speaking to them. We have seen in India a small brotherhood of fakirs settled round a little lake, or rather a deep pool of water, the bottom of which was literally carpeted with enormous alligators. These amphibious monsters crawl out, and warm themselves in the sun, a few feet from the fakirs, some of whom may be motionless, lost in prayer and contemplation. So long as one of these holy beggars remains in view, the crocodiles are as harmless as kittens. But we would never advise a foreigner to risk himself alone within a few yards of these monsters. The poor Frenchman Pritin found an untimely grave in one of these terrible saurians, commonly called by the Hindus Mudela. This word should be Mihang or Garaya. H.P. Blavatsky Discourses, Volume 13 Saint Germain, oh, do you not see, blessed ones, that in your joyous attention to your presence and the great ones, in that great perfecting activity taking place within and about you and your feeling world, how the whole world without must come into that glad divine order and perfection and harmony of all that you require for your happiness, supply, and comfort in the outer world. Do you not see how it would be impossible for you not to have everything in divine order in your outer life? Oh, not that individuals might not try to oppose you at times, not at all, but that has no power, it has no effect upon your life so long as you do not accept it. Oh, how individuals who feel unkindly to the messengers or to the staff are just pushing themselves farther, farther, and farther beyond the periphery of the light. What a pity! Is it not true that when anger and viciousness beset the individual, all sense of reason and justice is lost? They see nothing but their own fiendish picture of the human desires. May I say to you again tonight, that in all my vast experience there is no one thing so difficult to endure as to see one here and there fail on the pathway of light. I think that is the most difficult thing that anyone has to experience. You do not see in the human octave that which I mean by those words, for unless you saw from our octave of light, you could not understand nor comprehend just what my words mean. But to us it is a tremendous thing. And yet, we must always be serene. Beloved Saint Germain Saint Germain, we are soon touching into that great height of achievement of the 70,000 years ago, and whatever height of achievement has been achieved since, will all be combined into one, and then I trust, and it is why I have so earnestly been prompting, each one will leap ahead. May I say something most encouraging to you, in spite of all that has occurred in the outer? Since the beginning of the Kansas City class, the light within each one of you has expanded at least one-fourth beyond what it was at that time, a very wonderful thing, a miracle, so-called, in itself. Do you not understand there is not one thing within your physical body that cannot be done by the directing of the currents of energy from the presence? The directing of the activity of the violet-consuming flame, or the blue ray, or the consuming flame, or the unfed flame, directed and held to a given point, would remove all imperfection there. Won't you all just try it out? Whether it is on yourself or some other body, try directing the violet consuming flame, just like it was intelligent, because it is if it is directed by the intelligence of your presence, and see it penetrate and dissolve a growth, or see it put its lasso of light around that and operate on it and take it out. 
oh, for the confidence in the power of light, that you have in the outer things. Is it not strange, beloved ones, how because of habit you have confidence, but of course you do, you remove the effect of things, but who of you shall say to me you remove the cause by the surgeons in the outer world? Sometimes that effect does not gather again in this embodiment, but beloved ones, unless you have removed the cause and the record, it might recur. Beloved Saint Germain, 